Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Then verse 7. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses His name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. Then verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of Him upon you so that you do not sin. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So we've been following these stories in Exodus, telling us this saga of these people who were enslaved by Pharaoh, and how God has led them out of this enslavement out of the land of Egypt and protected them and provided for them, provided food and drink and a day of rest every week. And now we're coming to a point in this story where they're becoming more of a settled people. They seem to be beyond the danger of the Egyptians and the Pharaoh. They seem to, with God's help, manage all the issues in terms of living in the wilderness or in the desert. They are becoming a settled community and therefore need rules by which they shall live. Back in chapter 18, it tells us, though, that they're having a little trouble, that they're coming to Moses with arguments, with disputes, and Moses and others are having to take time to settle all of this wrangling that's going on amongst the people. They need some help. So God speaks to Moses again. This time, this part comes from chapter 19, verse 4, where he wants Moses to speak to the people. And God says this through Moses, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the people's. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak 
to the Israelites. Then Moses, later in the same chapter, introduces these people in a more formal way to God after he shares with them what God has told him to say. He leaves the people at the base of the mountain, and he is summoned by the Lord once again to go up on the mountain and listen. Moses does so, and then he comes back down with these ten words, as they're sometimes known, or more commonly known as the Ten Commandments. But you can tell as soon as you begin to read them that these people are still living in a polytheistic world. That is, they're living in a time and place where people believe in more than one God, multiple gods interacting with each other and acting upon them in some ways. As I read these first couple of commandments, I think you will hear that background. In verse 3, the Lord your God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then in verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol. They're living among people who not only think there are lots of different gods out there, but they're making physical tokens or statues, if you will, things they can worship who represent their God. And the Lord your God, the God of these people, our God, is saying that's not the way to go. Worship one God. Do not make any idols. Worship me in spirit and in truth. These worship practices are one of the early signs that are going to make these folks a holy people, a set-apart nation. They're going to be worshiping and living differently because they're going to follow this God. God is beginning to shape them into this unique community that God hopes will be a blessing into the entire world but you can hear in these first two commandments it's very clear what he wants them to do put god first that's where god wants them to start put god first in your life jesus says a strikingly similar thing in the gospel of matthew in that section known as the sermon on the mount the largest portion of jesus teaching at one time in the gospels And Jesus is talking about how people get so caught up in the physical things that sometimes they miss the spiritual. He talks about how they get so caught up in what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear. And he says that's not the most important thing. In chapter 6 and verse 33, remember what he tells them, seek first God. Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And then all these other things, all these physical things, will be added as well or will follow after that. The important thing is to remember, put God first. But apparently, we need frequent reminders over our lifetimes to focus first on God. I find that true in my life. They weren't diagnosing ADD when I was a youngster, but I bet some of my teachers would have sent me to the counselor to check that out. I was distracted easily. My mind still does go in lots of different directions. I need reminders, focus on the most important thing. 
focus first on God. Maybe you've experienced that in your life as well, where you got distracted or off track, where other things began to grasp you or preoccupy your mind and then your time and then your energy and then your life, and you lost your focus on putting God first. These commandments make it very clear that the most important place to start if we want the life that God intends is to put God first. The first two are very clear about. Number three, you find in verse 7, it continues in that same vein. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. And that's not only cursing, but that's once you've said, I'm a follower of God's, don't use God's name or cloak something you're doing as God's will when you know it's contrary to what God would want you to do. Don't use God's name or power or purposes and distort them in any way. And then number four in verse eight, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. In other words, everyone is going to live in this community that's going to live among the people of God. Keep this day set apart. Keep this day holy. Keep this day separate for rest and reflection and focusing on God. Our culture has largely lost this one. But you know, these commandments are not for the culture so much as they are for us, for the people of God, for the ones who have said we're going to be a follower of God. We're going to do what God says. These commandments are for us. It's important that we uphold this. And I would imagine you are like me. It's pretty easy to think, oh, maybe Sunday's just another day like all the others. I think I might do this or that or some other thing. I'll go to church next week or next month. I'll set apart that day another time. But that's not what the commandments of God say. They say to those of us who claim to be the people of God, keep the Sabbath day, that seventh day, set apart and holy and honor the Lord your God by doing so. The great wisdom that was revealed to Moses in these writings is that this is really important. To have a Sabbath day, a set-apart time, if we want to have the best life that God intends for each of us. These commandments are given to the people so that they might live long and do well in life. These first four all are talking about setting a priority. One priority, and it is God. Put God first. And then all these other things that you worry about will fall into place. If you have the proper focus to begin with, then all these other things will come into proper alignment as well. 
Well, those are the first four commandments. Now, these next six kind of begin to deal with these other things, these specific things about life. They all stipulate how we best live in community. You know them probably by heart. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And do not get envious or greedy about what your neighbor has. Do not covet what your neighbor has. These commandments, these guidelines, these laws, these rules, whatever you would like to call them, are telling us where the potholes of life are. They're saying those things are all mistakes. They will mess your life up. If you begin to kill other people, if you begin to violate your relationships, if you begin to steal, if you begin to focus your mind on what somebody else has, all these things, they're going to mess your life up. They're going to break your relationships. They're going to break trust. They're probably going to break you. As others have said, you do not break the commandments you break yourself when you violate the commandments. These are not things that you have to do. These are things that God has said are the way to life. If you want to be a part of the people of God, if you want to have the best life ever, this is the way. These are the guideposts. These are the guidelines. These are the commandments. Live by these things. And you will experience that life. These are divine wisdom about the best, the very best way to live. We all know they are true, that it's not good to murder and to lie and to steal. We know this to be the truth of life. We know these things destroy life and leave a wake of destruction and harm other people. So these are things given to us to protect us, to show us the way to the best life ever. You can hear them as negative prohibitions, but there's also benefits to these in terms of life. You hear the first part of that in verse 12. Right after the commandment says, honor your father and mother, honor those who raised you and gave you life, so that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. It's pointing out that you can have a better life if you honor your father and mother. Or you hear it again down in verse 20 when the people get scared and Moses says to the people, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that, so that you do not sin. That is, so that you will not fall in the way of destruction. That you will not fall in that place where you feel separated from those around you and you feel separated from God. These commandments are given to help us experience unity and humanity and mutual benefits of being God's people living together. They're given for our protection. They're given as a guide for us. Remember, these people who are hearing these for the first time have been slaves. They have some newfound freedom at the hand of God, but they are struggling 
to use that freedom in a productive way. They're struggling to figure out how do we live together in a positive way. And God offers these commandments to help them move forward. But they still have to make a choice. They still have to decide whether or not they will follow. How will they choose to live together? Will they follow these instructions, these rules, these commandments? Will they take these as wisdom for living or not? Can they, will they live together as God's people? Will they follow these ten words, these ten commandments? God gives them the commandments in the midst of giving them freedom. They have some decisions to make. But it's not just these ancient people, I do not think, that have to make decisions about how they're going to live. God has given all of us freedom as well. We have choices to make. We have decisions to make about how we treat one another and how we choose to live together in community or not. Do we need help and instruction in life? Yes, I think so. Do we need some direction and reminders about making decisions from our best selves over against our base selves? Yes, I think so. Are there times where we need to hear that our selfish decisions will cause harmful consequences to others? Yes, I think so. We need this kind of inspiration and wisdom and guidance that is given to us here in this passage. Can we, will we live as God's people in community according to God's instructions? It's a decision we all have to make. Before we close today, I want to reflect with you a little bit as we think about these questions of how we live together on a, what happened in Las Vegas. Reverend Venable prayed about that and prayed for those families who are grieving, who have lost ones they have loved. As I've been reading the news accounts and I've seen a few of the television reports, so much of what they're talking about is about the shooter and who he was and what motivated him and why he did that. And I understand that's important for the investigators to figure out. But I'm not sure that's the best focus for us. I think we would do better to focus on those people who in a crisis situation acted with great courage and selfless ferocity. Those people who Stories you've probably heard of by now. Some of them are unbelievable. Have you heard the stories about individuals who shielded other people's bodies when they realized in that terrible moment that someone was shooting into the crowd and they used their own body as a shield to save another's life? It's almost unbelievable. And yet story after story, people reporting that's what happened or other people who began to organize the people around them 
into crowds to move out of the line of fire to get under the stage or to go the way they knew how to get out of the stampede and they saved dozens of people's lives as they led them to safety or those stories about people who were going over the fence and then they realized there were others still trapped and they went back to help the others come over the fence and then there's a whole group of people who are trained to save lives. The nurses and the doctors, the EMTs, the firefighters, the law enforcement officials who either stayed there because they were already there in the midst of carnage or some of whom came rushing into the line of fire even though they realized what was going on because they wanted to provide whatever medical care and aid they could to those who were so helpless in that moment trying to figure out in the midst of the chaos what in the world was going on and how could this be happening? One shooter scores of people helping to save lives. I want us to focus on those people. I want us to focus on people helping other people in an instant kind of community. I want to live around people like that. I want to catch their spirit of life and willingness to give and sacrifice for somebody else's good. I want to be those kind of people that are willing to protect others and defend others and stand up for those who are being attacked. In this ancient story, the people are often confused and complaining and quarreling and not knowing what to do. But in this passage today, even though they have met God, they're not sure what to make of God yet. And so they say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. You speak to us and we will listen. May it be so for us today.